When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I am Tim O'Malley at Jack Freeman Studios, joined by Cubs fan Pete Sampson, Cubs lifers Jake Brown and Tim Priester. And as a lifelong Red Sox fan that knows how they feel, I will cede controls to the deliriously, unspeakably happy one to my right. Well, I've had, you know, three sports teams, programs that, you know, three loves in my life, Nordic football, Nordic basketball. And Chicago Cubs. So, forty-seven years, a hundred, a hundred and eight years. That's what makes it so amazing. Is when you when you actually see a hundred and eight years. It's just, it's tremendous. I've lived through it. I haven't been an agonizing Cubs fan my whole life. I don't believe in that. I've gotten tremendous entertainment. But I'll tell you what, it's a hell of a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it's such a cool thing to watch a hundred and eight years melt away like that because you're you're. The next one, as, as a Red Sox fan, you know, the next one isn't as good as the first one. Like, that's as good as it's ever going to get. And that's not a sad thing. That's just like, you're going to remember watching that and living it and experiencing it. I mean, I, I had a friend that went to the game, you know, bought a ticket and just said it was amazing how many Cubs fans were there. And I mean, in the stadium, the broadcast made it look like half Wrigley, half Jacobs Field outside the stadium was where all the Cleveland fans were. Uh, and he just said it was just an amazing thing. And then you see all the, the videos of Chicago. I lived in Chicago in 2003 when they last came close to it. And it was just, you felt like you were living in a major metropolitan area that was cheering on a Indiana small school, high school basketball team that was making a, a run uh, to the state championship, it just has such a cool, small city feel at the same time as being this just amazing, remarkable experience. I will say this, if, the, if and when they win a second one, it may not be as sweet, but I will still enjoy yeah, that yeah, one yeah. <laughs> an awful lot. And obviously, as most people know, they're, they're built to do something like that. There's no guarantee. There's certainly no guarantee. I mean, I say this all the time. You hesitate to say it out loud, but what if Brighton... Rizzo get hurt in the first month of the season. You know, you don't know how that changes things. Then they'll but, come uh, back for the World Series, just like Schwartz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's but, no uh, problem. Awesome. Quick, yeah, quick awesome. related story I found out yesterday. Uh, girl in my wedding, Tara, her 108-year-old grandfather, born in 1908, lives in Valpo at home and watched the whole game. Oh, my God. Good for him. <laughs> wow. It's a good effort. That's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> All right, let's get on Notre Dame football. Uh, who do they play this week? Now, yes. Notre Dame is playing yeah. Navy. In Jacksonville, we're all flying out on uh, Friday, looking forward to going down to, to Jacksonville and seeing if Notre Dame can build upon their 30-27 win over Miami. Navy is a is a football team that, uh, you know, I mean, they're dangerous. It doesn't matter who their quarterback is. Will Worth is kind of a power running back. He's listed at 205, and I think he's bigger than that. And you'll see him lower his shoulder and, and, and take defenders on. So you have to be aware of him. He can throw the football a little bit. Uh, he especially proved that when, when they had to throw the football against South Florida, he threw for 299 yards. 
But it's a dangerous team, and, and as always, it's a possession game. Possessions are really, really important. Notre Dame needs to maximize them. Uh, Brian Kelly says they need to run the football more in order to avoid these lapses, and we all know that that won't happen. <laughs> as far as running the football, maybe they can avoid the lapses. I, mean, I think just news-related, uh, Drew Tranquil told me that Greer Martini practiced yesterday and expects him to be yeah. part of the plan. I mean, to me, that that's huge because um, that, that could save you from – a, a, basically a lineup shift of moving Drew Tranquil the linebacker because that's how I thought they would have gone Coney Morgan in the middle Anawalu Tranquil on the outside but if you can go Martini Anawalu on the outside and have Tranquil just sort of filling running the alley in the back that's actually a great ideal setup for how Notre Dame should be defending the option it is if as long as he you know isn't quote defensive about Pursuing, I mean, he's the last line of defense, probably right. by himself, right? So, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's <laughs> one thing about Tranquil is, I, you know, the first impression that he made this season was was I think poor enough that we sort of for, overlook what's happened the last couple of weeks. He hasn't missed a tackle in the last two games. Um, Studsell didn't miss any tackles last week either, by my count. That position has gotten a lot better recently. I think Notre Dame's done a better job of putting Tranquil in a better position to succeed playing him closer to the line of scrimmage. So maybe that would indicate that he should play an outside linebacker role. But in terms of just reading run fits and being decisive and sprinting to the line of scrimmage and tackling a guy, he's been really, really good. I mean, he's who he is who I would want at the back end of the defense this week. So with Martini available, Allegedly, I guess, or according, sorry, according to Drew Tranquil. Yeah, um, well, I, I actually I was going to say, when I was pulling up uh, to Notre Dame yesterday, I saw them coming off the field, and Mar- Martini was in full gear. Uh, <clears throat> he certainly looked like he was engaged in, in conversation about what had just happened on the football field. He seemed like he was ready to, not having seen the practice, he seemed like he was ready to play. But I I, I think that you know there is room for Tranquil to play, get some snaps if they want him at, at outside linebacker. Studsill's going to play, right? He's got to sure. play some. So, I mean, that's your opportunity maybe to move Tranquil up. The interesting thing that Brian Kelly said for me was they're going to continue to rotate often defensively. I thought you might have to put that on pause. I mean, they didn't. They didn't rotate at all at safety. He was last saying week. they want to rotate more with Fertitta and, and Elliott. I don't understand the the, the plan I there. I feel like his his default answer is we want to rotate more, yeah. and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. But last week against Miami, who played tempo, Tranquil and Studstill took one hundred percent of the reps at safety. So I don't know why you would change that this week. That also, he's not sense. the defensive coordinator. So if things are going well and Tranquil is <laughs> yeah. playing great on the back end, and Martini and Anwell are locking everything down, he's not going to be like, "All right, let's get Bilal in there." Yeah, yeah but for, for Tita makes sense. Getting reps, I mean, probably makes yeah. more sense than Studstill actually getting reps back there. If you want to move Tranquil, sure, up, yeah. yeah. Then yes, then I can see. Yeah, I mean, I think that comment is more based on Martini maybe not being available. No, but as you pointed out, and, and I used it this week, I mean, Greer Martini had 35 tackles last year, and 17 of them came against Georgia Tech and Navy. He's de- he's designed for this. That's significant, really significant. Anwalu, uh, you know, struggled last year and actually got was yanked out of the Navy game and replaced by Jared Grace. Uh, Anwalu explained that as because there was a 290-pound running back, yeah. and I reminded him, well, there's, I don't know if he was, he still talking, was that Sean White that he was talking about then? Because they had, because he's 255, yeah. so... Uh, you know they're big at fullback. They're not as they're not as dangerous as they have been in the past at fullback. Uh, Jameer Tillman is, is a guy that can beat you in a passing game as a receiver. But I mean, it's the same as it ever was. And and 
you know, you go into the Navy game, and I think sometimes you just kind of forget just how annoying and how difficult it is and how once they start getting momentum, it's so difficult to yank that back from them. Yeah, even when Notre Dame defends it well, there's still those drives where you're like, gosh, they just look so quick running that thing, Navy, when they're doing it. And, and even Georgia Tech, when Notre Dame killed Georgia Tech last year, there was one drive where Georgia Tech went down the field in four plays. It looked like you could never stop the way they were running the action. Well, the, the, the outside pitch, I mean, for those that remember the Holtz days, you know, I mean, Air Force yeah. and, 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 and those type offenses – they would get their yardage on the outside. Now Brian Kelly says you can't just take away the fullback. I don't. I mean, I don't. Do we just trust that comment? I don't. I. I, I don't have enough acumen and X's and O's to say yes. This is why you can't play that style right. anymore. And maybe that's true. Based. I mean, based on the stats, everyone's been taking the fullback away from Navy. I mean, this is. You look at their their offense. They have five new offensive linemen, uh, sort of makeshift starting quarterback. Their fullback production has been way down. I don't think they they haven't been over one hundred yards at fullback since their opener against Fordham. So this isn't the Alexander Teach Kyle Echol right. group that has run over Notre Dame in the past. Um, I don't know if you need to take the fullback away as opposed to just the fullback isn't as good as it used to be, so it's not going to be as big of a threat as it used to be. And well worth. According to Bill Wagner, who I talk to every year about Navy, who covers them for the Capital Gazette in Annapolis, said, look, Will Worth is, while he can throw it better than Keenan Reynolds, is not nearly the athlete that basically every Navy quarterback going back to when they started to get good is. I mean, this is sort of the least athletic Navy quarterback since the mid-2000s. He is like a running back. He's a power back. When you see him, you're going to see him lower his shoulder like a back. He's not trying to run. You know, I would guess... He runs a four seven, yeah, four seven. So He's you're not going to see sevens. like a, a whole lot of like straight option football where he is, you know, kind of quick the quick game to the outside, which sometimes can get Notre Dame or anybody. But um, he just doesn't have that kind of suddenness. I think Brian Kelly might have brought up the fullback because the fullback did get them last year for two touchdowns. It was Quentin Ezell, yeah, the Quentin backup Ezell, fullback, yeah, forty five yard touchdown, right a twenty two yeah. yard touchdown untouched. Oh yeah. God! And I think he remembers that and thinks, "Well, we took everything else away." And, yeah, but should. I want to I want to flip it to Notre Dame's offense. What you said about wanting to run the ball because, as we brought up on Monday, he Kelly has in the last five wins in his loss to Navy in two thousand ten, he ran it twenty times, which is comical. In the next five, he's run more than he's passed by at least ten, including even the Reese year, the the crazy back and forth two thousand thirteen. They won thirty eight thirty four. They still ran. I think it was eleven more times than they threw, and it seemed like Reese was throwing the ball over the field that day. Mm-hmm. But so he does adhere to it against Navy. Does this new short passing game change that? That doesn't have to hurt them. I mean, if it works, it works. But the short passing game, as we talked about, that's the, not a run. The new short passing game? It can be. No, the, uh, the, to the running backs. Oh, okay. To the, to the running backs, yeah. Because, you know, they are passes. There's a problem that, it, that can occur in those situations. And as you said, it's not setting a physical tone if you're throwing to your backs. It doesn't. Instead of lining up I, the running. I, I, you know, that, that cliche of it's an extension of the running game. It's just not true. It, it, it's just not. I, it, the only extension is that you're getting it to a running back. But right. it's, it doesn't simulate running between the tackles and the physical superiority you can establish at the line of scrimmage. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I do like throwing the, the, the football to the running backs a little bit more. And look, Navy's been getting gashed in the running game. They got gashed by South Florida's quarterback last week as well as it. They had they had three guys over 100 yards rushing. I'm not going to predict <laughs> that Norton's <laughs> yeah, running. I'm not no, even no. going to predict two running backs <laughs> are getting 100 yards. Yeah, and that's, I mean, one thing that is very notable about Navy is 
this is the worst yards per play defense that they've had in more than 10 years. Um, and they've had some bad defenses. This statistically is the worst. Maybe not by a lot. I mean, it's like maybe a tenth of a yard here or there. But they are way down this year in yards per play. And one of the points that Bill Wagner made to me is he feels like their defense is getting more and more exposed by being in the American Athletic Conference where teams are a little bit more used to it now. Uh, and they know how to make a not-that-athletic defense look slow and just sort of stodgy. Said their linebackers really struggle in any kind of coverage situation. Notre Dame hasn't been great at the tight end position, obviously. They throw to the running backs more. That would seem to be a matchup where Notre Dame could win um, in terms of coverage of Navy's linebackers versus Notre Dame's running backs going out on routes. But it's just Notre Dame should be able to move the ball up and down the field whether that is power running game, short passing game, deep passing game, intermediate it really passing game. Matter what, no. what. <laughs> this, there, are, there are years where Navy's defense isn't all-you-can-eat buffet for Notre Dame's offense. This should be one of those years. And honestly, it's one of those defenses that they just have to they have to make a couple plays. Yes. And they can be accidental plays, and I'm not, that's not taking anything away from it. A tip pass that you intercept is a big deal. A Sam Mustaver snap over Kaiser's head. Right. There, you need two of those. You need to force a Notre Dame punt if you're Navy. I mean a punt. Notre Dame rarely punts more than twice in this game, and when they do punt twice, it's because they've scored 50, so they don't really care about that punt. But you need two turnovers and two punts, and you're in it if you're Navy, because it doesn't matter how good Notre Dame's defense looks, doesn't matter how good Notre Dame's defense is, if Navy has a functioning option, they're going to score points over 60 minutes. Like, Notre Dame can go up 28-7 for sure in this game, but then... What if you start? If you do start rotating, then and bring in Jalen Elliott and your and Asmar yeah. Bilal, then it doesn't look as good. I'll, I'll believe that defensive rotation when I see yeah. it. You know, but hey, very important they stay ahead of the chains. I mean, they did that last week at least when they were having success offensively, and it's important to do that again because if you're third and three, now you have you have a lot more. You have more options than you normally would by playing the Navy defense. And they will go on fourth down though. Notre Dame, excuse me, Navy against Notre Dame. They did last year. They were four for four on fourth down. It kind yeah. of mitigated how they, bad they were on. Yeah, third they're down. like two and two for nine. Yeah, on third down, it, yeah. it will. That will be part of the plan because they can't yeah. they can't beat Notre Dame on three on three, three snaps <laughs> three, every yeah. possession like that. So they, they'll go five six times. Their linebackers aren't very good, Pete. I mean, I, you're you're uh, right. You were uh, you're, the guy that you interviewed. Uh, I'm sorry, what's his name? Bill Wagner. Yeah, Bill Wagner Bill Wagner, uh, Wagner indicated that you know the lack of athleticism. And I actually thought well, I look back at my tail of the tape last year and I came away thinking, you know, you know Miami's narrowed the gap a little bit athletically. Their size in the lines is bigger than it used to be. But they had a lot of turnover, and when you have, when they have turnover on on an offensive or defensive line, five. that's a big yeah. That's I a, mean, you, you you never hear of five starters yeah. having to be replaced on offensive line in addition to the entire secondary. Um, so this this should be a real real. Never mind Will Worth coming in for Tygo Smith. Like this should be a rebuilding seven and five, six and six type year for Navy, and they're going to end up going nine and three. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Ken Niamatolo, he, yeah, he, he can coach job. a little bit. Their offense works. I think it's proof. <laughs> yes. It does, and usually, and usually they have enough defense, you know, to, to yeah. you know, where their offense can compensate whatever they're lacking defensively. Um, but yeah, this is a great opportunity for, you know, if South Florida scored fifty against them, Notre Dame certainly should be capable of that as well. But how many do they give up in return? You know. Oof, so that's a, that's a scary moment. To you, so yeah, we are, yeah. To the formula, how does that uh, how does that necessarily work? You know, I saw a complaint about the formula on the board. It said it was only funny once. He's wrong. It was funny at least twice. So here is the seventh version of it. 
Uh, Navy. This isn't even living, breathing quarterback. Navy starts with three touchdowns against everybody. So they do start off with their three touchdowns. Fortunately for Notre Dame fans, the Irish start with a minimum of 38 points against Navy. That's what it's been ever since the beginning of 2011. So we start with Notre Dame 38, Navy 21 to work from there. The line opened at five and a half and moved immediately to seven, favoring Notre Dame. The old adage is smart money goes early. The smart money went on the Irish. Those are the guys that make money winning on betting football games, not rubes like me. And uh, that gives Notre Dame an extra field goal in my book, 41-21 ND. When asked if he was going to establish a more consistent rushing attack by our Tim Priester, Brian Kelly talked about the effectiveness of a short passing game. Navy's pass D is ranked 109th <laughs> in the country, and that's basically the football gods daring Brian Kelly to break program passing records in Jacksonville. Take away a Notre Dame touchdown, 34-21. Living, breathing, and alert. Navy is 9-3 against the spread versus the Irish when they have a living, breathing quarterback since Paul Johnson arrived with the triple option. There's two years they have not had a living, breathing quarterback, 2011 and 12. Notre Dame killed them, but they have one now, I believe, even though it's not Tago, my man. Give Navy 7, make that... Notre Dame 34, Navy 28. Navy, fourth quarter, 24-point edge over their opponents. Notre Dame, 11-point deficit in the fourth quarter over their opponents. Add another touchdown, late. We have Navy ahead, 35-34 with seven minutes remaining. The formula is getting specific. My pick has hit four straight weeks. Do you know why? I pick it two weeks before the game. <laughs> Never let what you see influence your pick. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. It would be five in a row, Tim. If you know you this. If I had stuck with my white whale Duke. Mm. The one that got away Pick and I'm never getting arrow. back. It would be famous. But I watched Ron Jones destroy Miami. I've been planning on picking Navy for months. I just don't think it's logical. I have Notre Dame winning this game. 37-35, and I apologize to the Irish fans because I just provided the all-time kiss of death. I literally <laughs> changed my pick today. <laughs> oh, I it's so illogical oh, that Notre Dame lose this game to Navy right I, now. I had so much faith you wouldn't cave. That's I, I don't. It doesn't feel right. I understand. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I understand. Right. I've caved, though. That's, I know. That's I know. why I'm 3-5. and five. I felt Duke would beat Notre Dame. I don't feel Navy will beat Notre Dame. That's the only reason I came. I can't go again. Ah, oh, it's so sad. It's unfortunate. But you know what? This helps Notre Dame. <laughs> Coach Sampson? Uh, I was I was going to pick Navy uh, until a scheduling quirk made me fill my pick inside the Goog. If I had filled it outside the Goog, I would have picked Navy, but I was inside the Goog near training table. I didn't want really a plate of the food. The walls would food. have fallen down and on the, you. I, yeah, I didn't want a plate of food dumped on me from the uh, balcony above, so I went Notre Dame 31-28. I do think Greer Martini availability is very significant in this game. Um, I think that rounds out Notre Dame's defense. It sort of gets their best 11 on the field in a way that I wasn't sure that was going to be able to happen. I do like that Brian Kelly's take on Jerron Jones this week is well, NFL scouts are watching him as, as if they're how he defends the option yeah. is going yeah. to be significant. <laughs> but I like it in the sense that he didn't go with the, ah, it's not his cup of tea like Lewis Nix. There's not a reluctance to engage Navy in terms of just dealing with chop blocks and cut blocks and I guess maybe a little bit of chop and some cut. But um, I, I just think Notre Dame has a good mentality going this week. Unfortunately, I think Navy is going to score 14 consecutive points at some point in the game because that's just how it goes. Uh, but I'm going Notre Dame 31, Navy 28. I think it's going to be a lot like 
the 2013 game here um, where Notre Dame's going to have to make a stop in the fourth quarter to win it defensively. I think they're more than capable of doing that. But, uh, look, Notre Dame runs away and just crushes Navy when Notre Dame is really, really good. And Notre Dame is not really, really good. So it's going to be a tight game. I, th- I think that's, that, that is a sure thing. I think it's like the 14 game where the Nord- Notre Dame gets that lead that runs out to a 21-28-7 lead and Navy comes back. Remember, Navy, that was in Washington, D.C. Navy came back and led that game in the fourth quarter. Unbelievable. And I, I feel like that's this type of game. And Pete and I just jinxed it for Notre Dame, saying that we're looking at Jerron Jones and he's ready to go against the option. Oh, I'm concerned. Gonna, that's what I, that's be... what I was about to say. I'm concerned I'm concerned about Jerron Jones. I'm concerned about yeah. his health in a game like this because, you know, I mean, Brian Kelly talked about physically taking somebody on. Well, that is not going to prevent. You know, you can say, well, it's a penalty if he's engaged high and engaged low. Okay, it's a penalty. Now his knee's blown out. He's off the field, but it's a penalty. So what? I mean, it. I want to I, see, yeah, I want to see how much they line him straight on the center because yeah, then you yeah. can't do anything about it legally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah but, I but, mean, then, it, but then you you schematically you know what to do. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm just I'm concerned about Jerron Jones's health, and I think Jerron Jones probably is too. I mean, he's a bit skittish about playing against uh, against yeah. this type of offense, and not just Jerron Jones. Martini is so important because this is his fourth time against the option. He started against Navy in 14 in the game referencing. And remember, they have Georgia Tech mixed in there. Yeah, It's all fun in games, and I say this a lot, jokingly, about Navy when I see their scores across the country, until that 30th time someone hits you in the leg with their helmet at full speed when you're trying to go Yeah, it pisses someone. you off. Right? Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, it's it, not the same thing as prepping for it with the scout team that tries hard. and this, It's just different. You can make You can stop them two times in a row, and then all of a sudden, here's somebody putting his helmet in the back of your leg. And look, it's important that Notre Dame, I think, the defense gets up because it's a possession game. Navy scored on its first possession in 2013, right down the field. Navy scored on its first possession in 2014 to answer. And Navy scored on its first possession last year in three plays. So there is some adjustment period. And those are Notre Dame's best defenses against the option. If you go back to the previous years, yeah, Navy, Navy always really scored. Bad. I mean, 2010, they scored immediately. 2009, they scored immediately. 2007, they scored immediately. It's, it's hard to get yourself ready for it. And this is the team with the plan in Notre Dame. It's tough to stop it right away. I it mean, is. it's Rochelle was Isaac Rochelle was saying yesterday. I mean, you, you no matter how many times you've played against it, it's like playing whatever sport you play. First game of the year, you'd like to think that you're going to hit the ground running, but first game of the year, it's going to be different. When you play Navy, the first series is going to be different. The pace of it, but that, that's why I say, you know, you can say okay, uh, cut block is a penalty. Chop block. Chop block. Ch- I'm sorry, yeah. chop block is a penalty, but for Navy, the exchange is 15 yards for Jerron Jones being out of the game. And I'm not saying they're dirty, but I mean, how many, or, how many or, times? Or, or at a minimum, Jerron Jones being worried that he might yeah, be yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, it absolutely. is. Absolutely. So he's tentative and he's. He, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying they're dirty, but. They're against the rules. They, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they've done it, and we've seen it. Not only linemen, but wide receivers taking, who was it, Robert Blanton? That was fortunate. He didn't right. have his knee yeah. blown. That, was, oh, that was dirty. Ago. That yeah. was as dirty as it gets. Yeah. yeah, that was something else entirely. I, I think it's safe to say we don't think Army's going to blow out Navy. No, no, I don't. It's like the teams that blow out Navy, 2012, yeah. 2011, 2011. Yeah. That Navy was, was just horrible. They Navy just was terrible. real bad. Yeah. And look, that that's, that's it. That's kind of yeah, it. That's I mean, it. last year I thought they did a really nice job on them. Um, but again, that that team was better than this team. And, and we probably expect. I mean, Notre Dame to be up 17-21 at some I, point. I that's possible, yeah. right? But that certainly doesn't mean it's going to end that way. No. All right. Well, that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. we got a bunch of questions from our readers, and then we'll have a 
Segment three, talking recruiting with Jake Brown today as well. So segment two, next. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insiders, our burning up the board segment. We start with a question from Chuck Darnay. How good is this freshman class? Your best classes in recent memory are 2008, 2011, 2012, correct? Well, 2013. I, I don't know if he's I think he talking. means freshmen as they play as freshmen. Oh, as they play as freshmen. got to be because 2008 and 2011. Oh, in terms of production of the yeah, class. Um, in that bad. case, this, this class is way up there. Um, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. If you if Claypool and Hay and Dalen Hayes start a game, which I feel like is not likely this weekend, but likely the rest of the year, that will match the most players who have started a game under Brian Kelly in the freshman class, and I they are easily on pace to be the second most volume of starts by a freshman class under Brian Kelly, and on a team that while was inexperienced did not have a whole lot of open jobs when the season started. To me, that's really impressive. I mean, they have gone out and, and caught some upperclassmen and just took their playing time away. Um, and whether the season was going great or the season's going like it's going, that's irrelevant to a freshman beating out a sophomore or beating out a junior. And that's that's exactly what's happened in some cases. I think part of it, I agree with that, but I do think that the failures of the Upperclassman has, has contributed to Certainly it. Just, in the just, second. Yeah, in the yes. second. Oh, I guess I was just thinking immediately off the top of my head, Nick Coleman and Max Redfield just not being all yeah. of a sudden out of, out of the mix yeah. and Sean Crawford getting hurt. But no, these it's a it's a very talented and a very, not only promising, but kind of fun to watch freshman class, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, I that, that's why I thought his his examples were good he threw in 2008. I mean, that's immediately think of Michael Floyd. You know, Ethan Johnson played, Robert Blanton played, uh, Trevor Robinson actually started, things like that. Oh. It's... Yeah, and 2012, of course, had Kavari, Sheldon Day contributing from from the outset. But no, these Pete said just the numbers involved in this one. Um, and guys that are going to win jobs and secure the, um, Kevin Stefferson, KJ Stefferson is. I keep looking at the future and thinking, like two weeks ago, well, man, he's having a good freshman year. But where is he going to play when this shakes out? He's going to start. Brian Kelly yeah. loves Stefferson, and you and you saw why on that. He's a beautiful athlete. Yeah, on man. that slant and run when they ran to the nine and decided to throw three times. And we saw that. I mean, we yeah. saw that in August. There's no doubt about that. And he's done a great job. He's he's beaten out C.J. Sanders, mm-hmm. so to speak, which should, yeah. causing no, Hunter to move into slot, although they move. You know, we can say Hunter plays a Z now, but he's all over the place. Yeah. He's, you know. Which is good. Claypool, when you talk about fun to watch, Pete, I know you can you can relate to that. But I mean these guys oh, yeah. in the, these guys in the secondary, I mean, we didn't expect we didn't expect Julian Love or Dante Vaughn or or Troy Pride to be playing. Or, or all of them. Yeah, or all <laughs> yeah. of them. Yeah. I mean studs still we knew, but we didn't know that those guys would be playing. And that's I mean, that's kind of a bad thing, and and that's why they stumbled a little bit in the secondary early in the year. But you know, throw in we know we know Eichenberg is good, or at least Brian Kelly thinks he can play wherever the hell he wants to play. From a couple weeks ago, the comment that he made, and Tommy Kramer too. I mean, those are two guys that you you should feel confident yeah. are going to be you know multi year starters. I, you know, I think Tony Jones is a guy that's really going to help them at running back starting next year. A guy that's got a little bit more power, and maybe they'll run between the tackles with him. I just feel like they finally. You mentioned those guys. They finally have caught up at corner. For the next few years, I like all those corners. I think Julian Love is the third best of those three, and that is a great third best going forward. I mean, not right now, and that's a really good 
third best corner in a class. I like Vaughn and Pride. Going you, forward. I, going, ahead forward. Of, going forward. Ahead of Love. As, as juniors well, and seniors. Next, I mean, next year's starting cornerbacks, I'm Sean Crawford is going to have a long road back. Right. So let's yeah. take him out. Are going to be Love at the nickel and then Pride and Vaughn on the outside. I mean, that that's how they're playing it now when Cole Luke comes out of the game, which isn't a lot, but does happen. I mean, they have, will have three freshman corners out there at the same time, and then you'll have Stud still in the back with Tranquil. The secondary will look exactly the same next year as it does now, except for Cole Luke. Who's playing well now. After and that's yeah. just fine. I mean, I am... I thought I like Troy Pride as an athlete coming in. I thought he would be a really good player over time. Uh, I thought Dante Vaughn just you know the the measurables there were so intriguing. Julian Love I thought was just going to be a guy that okay they signed him great okay you're a special teams guy for four years valuable try hard contributor. I liked you him liked him a lot. lot. Well, I, I yeah. his improvement from his junior to senior yeah. year to me was striking. But he's it, good now. No, he's good. Like, and that's he's physical, and he gets in the wild. lower body of of receivers. And I think we were comparing him just because <laughs> of uh, kind of jack of all trades. We were saying, hey, it's kind of like the next Matthias Farley. Matthias yeah. Farley redshirted as a freshman who was nowhere near the field until injury no. occurred. He is, yeah, he and, forced you know, his way on. And Dante Vaughn's just natural he's, ball skills. I mean, good. you just don't let, think of how many young. Just and old corners <laughs> just don't have yeah. the natural instincts to run, to anticipate, to read the body language of the receiver, know when to turn around to make a play on the ball. Vaughn knows how to do that. Now, some of the other stuff in between the footwork and maybe getting yourself in the right position to do that is it, is still a little awkward at times. But with his length, he's got he's got makeup, length, and ball skills. Stud still and Elliott have to hit though to make this work. Two yeah. safeties have to hit. We haven't seen enough from Studstill no. to know. And obviously, yeah. Elliot is. I mean, obviously, Tranquil's involved next year. I, I'm I saying Studstill's yeah. a hitter. He's just a little inconsistent, yeah. and you know some of the tackling no. issues. Oh, are, I meant hit. No, be like good. Be, good be good for four years. You got to hit. Oh. On, you got to hit on those. Oh, I got you. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. he tries to hit. That's no, for sure. I think yeah. he's trending that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he's. You can't. It's very difficult to expect a guy in oh, that yeah. position to be consistent every time out, and he's up and down, just like most freshmen in a really difficult position to play as a true freshman. Irish McCarthy, who starts more games at Notre Dame down the road, Avery Davis or Phil Jerkovic? Jerkovic. Yeah, I would agree. Is it Jerkovic or Jerkovic? It's Jerkovic. Okay. Um, I would pick Jerkovic as well because he throws the ball better, and that's what Brian (laughs) Kelly, that's why we (laughs) set... That's why since the spring we said Deshaun Kaiser would be the starting quarterback. Who, who has game. better touch to the running back in the flat? That's all that matters, right? <laughs> it's the new offense, remember. It's the new run. And don't get me wrong. I mean, they need Avery Davis today. Yes. In, oh, in the program. There's plenty of people. That, 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 yeah. That, that, he could be the backup next well, year. Well, that's why, yeah. He's you know, not he could early, be the number two He's not early entry, right? No. He could use it because they're going to be – because they're, because they're going to have uh, – Ian Book and Brandon Wimbush. Hey, there's no such, there's no such thing as a log jam at quarterback. Notre Dame. No. It, all, it all equal it all equals out at some point. Everybody gets a chance. <laughs> Dip ninety eight. Why is Miles Boykin getting more offensive reps than Chase Claypool? Related question. Given the anemic tight end play so far, why haven't they tried Claypool in the role that they had drawn up for Alize Jones? You answer that because that's I mean, why? Um, uh, especially the latter. The Claypool for the Alize Jones role seems. I think so the former natural. too. Miles Boykin's not ready to play any kind of consistent. They, they football. must like him blocking more than they like Claypool out there. But Claypool blocks <laughs> pretty well on special teams. I don't know why there's. Yeah, it's, I don't know. You know, I mean, 
does he does he know the playbook as well as Boykin? Probably not, because okay. Boykin's good second time, yeah. second go around. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, when Boykin's been in the game, it's been well, both of them really. It's been overwhelmingly run plays. I mean, I've got through six games. Boykin had eighty nine snaps versus Claypool's fifty two. But in terms of pass plays, I had Boykin at thirty and Claypool twenty one. So it's not that different. Yeah. And the majority of there was a game, uh, well, it was, I think it was the it was the Stanford game where when they say Brown got freaking rocked. Yes, Boykin played the rest of the game. All, well, not all the, but about a quarter and a half before St. Brown came back in. So he was he got a ton of snaps in that game, which is really the advantage between the two of them. Um, but I I have nothing new to say about Chase Claypool and why he <laughs> should be playing. I mean, he's like he's the new Bo Scarborough for me. I think the interesting comparison for me is Boykin reminds me. This reminds me of Boykin is like Kamara for an upside. And Claypool is like a tall golden tape that doesn't quite have everything. He, he can't do everything you want a football player to do, but maybe you should just play him anyway. Kind of the young golden yeah. tape where you could run yeah, down well, the field. I, and... I, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to look at it that way because of the size difference. But yeah. I do like the comparison to Kamara. I, if you're telling me that Miles Boykin will be as productive as Kamara was, I'll, I'll take that sure, right sure. now. I just mean body type. And, yeah. and you got you have the, all right, he won the draw. He's, he's ahead of him. He knows more. Let's put him out there. Or you have this guy that maybe you could put in the game, and it'll catch a sixty-yard pass if you throw the ball high in the air like that. Sometimes the that guy who almost <laughs> caught the hail mary, right? The guy, yeah. It's so I would probably I think it's wise to start getting Claypool in some advantageous opportunities. I mean, hey, look, Pete found a play that was probably going to win the game against Stanford. Yeah, totally. on reverse to Chase Claypool, we'd all be talking about the breakout game Chase Claypool had against Miami had that happened. So it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, I do think it could be. It could be coming, but he only has four games left. Yeah, it's, I mean, and also, look, it, the Alizé Jones part of it probably makes more sense than the Boykin part of it because St. Brown's been really good. You don't want to take him off the field. Hunter's been really good. Stefferson, obviously, is coming on. He's got great wheels. So there's not a ton of opportunities. It's, it's sort of like the question about St. Brown last year. Why isn't St. Brown playing more? Well, Fuller, you're, like, you want me to take him off the field? Probably not. There's only so many reps to go around. Uh, and I, I have to give... And this questioner should too. Some credit to the tight ends who blocked really well last week. Um, you know that was a big part of Josh Adams' forty-one yard run. I think that position actually has been getting better. It's been subtle. Um, they certainly have not made an impact in the passing game really at all. Uh, but in terms of knowing how who to block and how to block them, they've been getting better. Yeah, and I, I think I think Durham Smythe's game. I mean, he, he's a, he's a guy that is that is active out there, and do, and I think does have a good idea of what. How the play structured and what his responsibility is within it. I think he's inconsistent, and I think he's a little soft at times. But uh, most of the time, he's productive. And he's off the hook too. How's that? Kaiser recovered the fumble. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> End the game. So, excuse me, go to overtime. <laughs> that's that's the way the season's going. Mm. <laughs> Improving at the position that almost lost the lead. But no, I, I agree with you guys. I think Smythe is playing much better football. Yeah. Uh, go fight wing, go Irish. Is Brian Kelly truly in over his head as coach in Notre Dame or any changes he makes in the offseason, such as hiring a quality defensive coordinator, firing or reassigning Booker, hiring a special teams coach, and any other staff changes? Any other staff changes? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, he's not over his head. No, that's that's the, the, the first the part's out. Yeah, the first he part's t- out. He took Notre Dame to the national championship. I think there's game. frustrations in this, 
in the staff situation, lack of staff changes, and will the decisions be made correctly? And people are frustrated that some of the same issues are always materializing. We could, we're going to talk about red zone touchdown percentage next season. We're going to talk about the special teams being ineffective. We're going to talk about suddenly now it's goal to go. They can't. <laughs> Tory Hunter. Yeah, there, yeah, there, there, there are moments. There are problems. certainly moments where it it he yeah. he coaches as if he's over his head. That's a good. That's an interesting way. To say it, it is a good. It, it, is. it is. It is. It is. It's a good question yeah. because there's evidence of that. Uh, I. I mean, I sort of look at it as: Is he going to change? I mean, he constantly references 27 years of being a college head coach. That means you've got 27 years of evidence of what I do is the right thing to do versus. I'm going to change it to do something else in year 28. Year 28 is going to be a lot like year 27 and the other 26 seasons before it. So I, I, I look at it as from the standpoint of if you want a Notre Dame to be a power run first team, that is never going to happen with Brian Kelly. Um, and you can get used to that or you can keep complaining about it. Um, he's shown that he can win with inexperienced quarterbacks, which Notre Dame is almost certainly going to have next year. And that should give you some optimism about where things are going. But it's, I think it's a question of style more than anything. Is he in and over his head? No, but that doesn't mean he runs the offense that you, person on Twitter or person on a message board or just person in the stadium, wants to be run. Um, and that, unfortunately, for, for that group, is not going to change. I do think, though, it's a relevant question to ask because the best year he ever had at Notre Dame, he dialed down the offense to run the ball more than pass and play to the strength of his defense. Now, he kind of had to because the defense was so good. I guess you couldn't not try to protect your offense by, by using two running backs more and tightening. Mm-hmm. I guess the personnel dictated it, too. He had Tyler Eifert and TJ Jones, and Eifert was their best wide receiver as a tight end, and that's never going to be the case again. They have wide receivers all over the place and young talent. But I do think that's where a fan's lament would come from. Hey, they went to the national championship game. When he had a more cautious offense, they threw 12 touchdown passes or something like that. So I think just because that evidence exists, I just think that was a lightning in a bottle defense. And you, I think you looked at it and thought, well, there's nothing else in the world I should do other than let my defense win these games for me. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. at that point, you didn't have a quarterback capable of winning the game for you. So don't ask him to do that. Now, right now, he does. Yeah. And that's, that, I think that's just too alluring for him to ever say. The question also asked about other staff changes. And, and you know, I, I, I do believe this is a, these are a couple things that I believe that he'll get a defensive coordinator from the outside. Um, that Scott Booker will either be reassigned or will not be in the position that he was in. I think Marty Biaggi, the special teams analyst, has a good chance of, of getting that job. Now, for those that look for resumes, his resume includes South Dakota, Southern University, and University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, which has nothing to do with whether no. he would be good at it. He's not. He's not the head coach in Notre Dame. It's right. Yeah, he's right. Up and coming. So I mean, you know, you could. So when he's hired initially, or if he is hired initially, you'll say, or some people will say, they don't like that resume. That doesn't mean he can't be a good coach. Um, well, Brian Van Gorder's resume included Georgia, Auburn, and the NFL. Yeah, so and so that just... didn't mean anything. But but the tricky thing to me is if you bring in a defensive coordinator, and there's probably a good chance that Greg Hudson is somebody that they want to retain at least as linebackers coach, the numbers don't add up. Yeah, I mean, Greg Hudson is going to have some job offers from some Power 5 schools to be defensive coordinator if it's not happening at Notre Dame. So 
Greg Hudson is he he wins yeah, regardless. Big, I mean, that's gonna yeah. be, he's gonna be in a good position somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's it, it is tricky if you bring in a DC from the outside because the last time they did that, they didn't really he didn't really pick out his own assistants that he liked to work with or wanted to work with, and, and probably wouldn't wouldn't be able to now. I mean, he, Brian Kelly's not gonna fire Todd Light or Mike Elston or no. No, or no, Keith no. Gilmore? No. No, I mean we're we're just we've spent the last seven years. He's fired one <laughs> I know. assistant coach. One. And we're not sure if that was his idea. Yeah. So yeah, the the notion of just a, a total staff turnover on defense is unrealistic, but it, it just it creates a sticky situation if you can bring in a guy from the outside, which I think he should and would be a positive. That does everyone work together? It would it would lend credence to what we talked about in our last podcast that people were not too thrilled about. If Notre Dame wins out, looks good doing it, wins a bowl game, just promote Elston, have Hudson be the linebackers coach, and keep the staff the same on the defensive side. Um, that would that that shouldn't be as shocking as it would have been a month ago. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting because we're. We're probably anticipating more movement than there actually will be, just by the nature of the way. Yeah, it's going to be the Homer path of least resistance is is his path. The Homer Simpson philosophy: hide under a bunch of coats and hope the problem goes away. <laughs> All right. Statman seventy two. He stands. Philosophy is to play the five best offensive linemen, even if it means forcing a player to shift positions. This approach has yet to produce a dominant offensive line, despite fielding many NFL caliber players. Why not maximize each player's chance of success by having him play at a position which he's best? The- Problem with that, as it relates to this specific, this particular offensive line, is if you did that, you'd have a center, a tackle, and three guards, and you can't play that way. Yeah, they don't have a right. They don't have another. You can't I move mean, Alex Bars away from right tackle. Harry Heastan just admitted it. He said he, he has to play right tackle for this team in the spring. But yeah. all things being equal, and I've always yeah. gone back and forth on this with Alex Bars. I mean, not me and Alex going back. <laughs> and forth, but It'd be an odd conversation. My, my analysis of him yeah. is that. He's a bit, he long term he'd be a better guard than a tackle. I think that's what Statman is saying, but I think then there'd just be something out of the right tackle position that would get to Sean Kaiser killed. Well, that would be Hunter yeah. Biven, and that that would be a mistake. It would be a mistake with Colin McGovern too. Yeah. Now yeah, Tommy I mean, Kramer can change that. Eichenberg, maybe. Eichenberg can change that. Um, probably more long term than short term. Yeah, that's a it's a discussion for next year because it, it's I, I agree with what you guys are saying. There's just there's not an alternative to. You know, have everyone play their best position unless, you know, you do the tackle three guard center approach, which would be creative. I mean, maybe that <laughs> well, worked yeah. work in the red zone. No, right? it's not. <laughs> Goal to go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> you could pass out of that, right? Tackle yes. three guards yes. in the center. Any way you look at it, you've got to have two tackles out there. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good question. It's just it doesn't work for this year's team. I mean, if you go back when McGlinchey was an up and coming backup tackle, you think, man, maybe you can rush him in and do something mm-hmm. in that way. You're. Putting a real tackle out there, but they don't have that guy right now. It's, I mean, it's interesting that they're in this position because we've spent a lot of time over the last few years complimenting their offensive line recruiting, and they have amazing depth, and all these guys can play, and wow, they're just going to run over people, and they're like, well, they only have one tackle on the team. And good thing he's coming back for a fifth year. Um, it's uh, They've recruited a lot of guys who have developed into guards or were guards all along. Um, and so they're a little bit, uh, I guess, interior heavy on the offensive line. There's only... So much you can do about that. Yeah, Bar- Bars is the closest, but I mean, sometimes you see him in in uh, in pass pro where he's just, you know, the footwork just doesn't come real naturally to him. And, and you know, like like Steve Elmer. I mean, still Steve right. Elmer 
you know, as much as I tore him apart in the uh, tails of the tape, damn, it'd be nice to have him on this team. Yeah, that was the underrated uh, loss from the offseason. Yeah. Everybody was lamenting other things. But the offensive line is part of the reason they're here today at 3-5. and five. It's hard to ignore that. I know it's not all on them, but that's that's why the offensive line questions are going to keep coming up and why we talk about passing inside the 10-yard line. All right, well, that's it for segment two. Next, Jake Brown joins the show to talk a little bit of recruiting after his Texas travel. So all that next on Irish Illustrated Insider. Welcome back to segment three of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. We're joined by Jake Brown, who's back from Texas. So three Notre Dame commitments in four days, and I guess let's start with the new the I guess newsy part of it was just Paulson Adebo yeah. commitment, not commitment. Where is where does he stand? You spent some time around him as coaches. What was your feeling there? The vibe was pretty good. I mean, he was fresh off his visit for the Stanford game. Um, his brother and his mom made that trip. His mom has been with him to Notre Dame both times, so I think there's like this element that the family is comfortable with Notre Dame. Um, he didn't really get. He doesn't really give a lot away. It's not like he, you know he was like, well, yeah, these are the schools that are talking to me. He kind of just said, I'm 100 percent committed. Um, the coaches didn't really, you know, his head coach didn't really, you know, give much away either. Not, but he didn't like imply that other schools were in the mix. Seemed pretty solid. Um, yeah, I didn't get to see him play. He was out with a little shoulder injury, but he's certainly a guy Notre Dame wants to keep a hold of. Yeah, no question there. And then you went from there to Avery Davis, also Dallas area. No question about the commitment there. Um, but sizing him up in person, I was curious because he's not a big kid. Um, no. What what do you think watching him go through a practice and then you went and saw him play live too? Yeah, he's not tall. <laughs> I can say yeah. that. I mean, he's I mean, like Everett Golson short. Yeah, he's probably right around six feet tall. Okay. I mean, he's a, a touch taller than me, but not not by a whole lot. Um, it, one of those things where it's like the way his offense is run, it doesn't matter whether he's six five or you know, it's like it's the classic spread offense that all the like really good high school teams in Texas run that yeah. is translated to college. Um, I think when I was down there, I tweeted like he's very fluent in the read option. It's like a second language for him. He knows it inside and out. Um, and I think that's what can make him successful at Notre Dame. Like, will he, you know, be a three year starter at Notre Dame? Probably not. But um, I don't think his size will hold him back from being successful in college. No, I mean, his highlights make him look lightning quick when he takes off yeah. um, in a way that Zaire, Kaiser, you know, maybe, maybe Wimbush is, but um, yeah. there's certainly a, a plus athleticism there that Notre Dame doesn't get at quarterback a lot. For sure, and he's not up to full speed. He missed a couple games with an ankle injury. They're just starting to run him again as they kind of gear up for the playoffs. Um, but as a junior, I mean, he ran for like 800 yards and yeah. like 13 touchdowns. So that's an element of his game that, We'll see more here at the end of the year, but it's something he can definitely bring to the table from that read option. Yeah, and you, I mean, you had a feature on him that was good. It's up on irishillustrated.com, just sort of about how he's been wired for big moments since the day he really first played, mm-hmm. um, going back to his sophomore year, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of like one of those angles that sort of revealed itself as I was down there. I mean, he, he led the game-winning touchdown drive in the state championship game in Texas's big division when he was a sophomore. And the starting quarterback at the time is now at LSU and was a legit recruit in his own right. Um, and that kind of, you know, seal. when you're the starting quarterback at a big program in Texas, you are kind of a big deal yeah. <laughs> around there. So the whole program at Cedar Hill now is based around him. And obviously, you know, the skill position talent that's around him, all his 
basically all his receivers and, and his running back mm-hmm. are going to go to major programs. Um, but yeah, he's comfortable in that. And the other thing I talked to his coach about is like, it hasn't always been great for him. There's been the scrutiny that comes along with that as well. And he's pretty comfortable with that too. Earlier this year, they got, you know, smoked by Bishop Gorman in the first game of the year and he was hurt, came back and he's, you know, he's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the state. And he wrapped it up with Brock Wright. I think on Saturday, saw him Mm -hmm. play, um, Kind of a bit of a throwback tight end <laughs> yeah. based on where football yeah. is today. He actually blocked, yeah. which was amazing. Uh, <laughs> when seemed he seemed to like doing it. Yeah, when he was warming up, I was looking for him with the skill guys. I'm like, where is he? And <laughs> is I, he I walked Damn down it. to the offensive line. I'm like, oh, well, he's, he's doing blocking drills. Uh, yeah, he only ran like four pass routes the whole game. And he caught, he caught a couple passes. I mean, he looks good in that regard. But yeah, he likes to block. I mean, it was a like a 90-degree day on the turf in Houston and you know he was uh, he was not shy about the physical contact of of playing the position the way they ask him to play it, and uh, I think he's a really good pairing with Cole Komet, who can be maybe more of the split tight end guy. Uh, I think Cole will have to work on his inline blocking a little more, but you know, we've been lamenting Notre Dame's inability to get the tight ends involved all year. I think next year with Elise Jones back in sort of a not really a tight end, more of a receiver role, plus those two guys the talent at tight end upticks. And I think you're going to see the productivity do the same. Yeah, I mean, I always felt like Brock Wright reminded me most of like a John Carlson type of tight end here. Um, you know, physically, it's not going to overwhelm you, but just is, but is physical and yeah. will try to overwhelm you with physical play, opposed to just he looks like Troy Nicholas or Kyle Rudolph. Whereas Komet seems more like that that Eifert type. I mean, you, yeah. you've seen both of them play. Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, I was. I, I guess I had seen Brock at Irish Invasion, it was a couple summers ago now. But when I got down on the field last Saturday and saw him again, I was really impressed with his physical stature. Mm-hmm. Like he's not, he's not going to be a liability as a blocker, no. in in my opinion. And I think he can, they can do more stuff because you can split out Komet and you can keep, you can keep right in line. There's there's a lot of flexibility with the two of them. Yeah, and I guess just sort of recruiting at large, you've updated both of the master lists this week, and. I mean, the momentum of Notre Dame's season is mirroring the momentum of its recruiting campaign, really. Um, it's It seems that things have sort of been undercut with loss after loss after loss. And for a class that I think Notre Dame hoped would be 23, 24, maybe 25. I mean, they're sitting here at 18. It's hard to, it's hard to find three more guys that they could end up with. Yeah, it's like... I'm, that's why I was surprised during the bye week that there were more offers to go out. If you really yeah. want to push this class to 23 or 24, you need to offer some more guys that maybe are committed to you know, lesser programs that you can flip, but you like the possibility of, of what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Or, But then again, how successful have they been digging up guys in December over the you know. None of those guys have really turned out to be. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah that's kind of the issue. Is like The guys that you're flipping late haven't... I wouldn't say never have panned out. Konishwenke would be an exception, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm missing a huge one. But um, you know, Danny Spahn was good. Mm-hmm. Flipped him from TCU. Colorado. Uh, was it Colorado? Uh, was it? I maybe it was, it was TCU or Colorado. He's from Colorado. He's from Colorado. <laughs> um, it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you know, Schwenke was BYU, so there's some connections there with Matthew Teo. But um, by and large, those the guys that you flip late. Seem to be program guys at best. Yeah, um, that's the way it's worked out. So you kind of you kind of wonder if like this class is just it is what it is at this point. There's not there's not going to be a silver bullet to fix it because there aren't really any outside of the offensive line. 
I don't know who the biggest name on the board even is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's like there's been a little bit of a positive feedback from Josh Pascal, the defensive end from out east. But yeah. it's like that's more of a can we get him on another vi- like you got to get another visit. Yeah. And it's always the the vibe there has always been there's you know kind of been some work for him to do for Notre Dame to be a real option. So you don't know where that's going to go, but defensive line recruiting seems almost like done. Yeah. Whether they like it or not, unless they're going to find another guy. So, and on defense as a whole, it's just hard to find guys. So, yeah, you're right, the offensive line, but you're looking at Foster Sterrell is hard to pull away from the West Coast. Jedrick Wills, who's always kind of listed Notre Dame, but they've never been a favorite. Mm -hmm. And Trey Smith, who is going to Tennessee. Yeah, unless, well, I guess if there was any hope on that, it's that Tennessee is plummeting in a right. (laughs) meteoric way. And then Aaron Banks, too, also from the West Coast, who's visited twice in Going to like, Michigan, I think, this weekend for an official or, or in the next couple weeks. Yeah, like, are you going to be able to pull him? So it, it's just really hard to find guys. So it's like if you're at 18, if you can hold it at 18, is that good enough? Find one more DB and... You've got to try. I, I feel like if they can get one more DB in this class and then kind of find a, a Taylor Dever type of offensive lineman from a few years ago who was that, had a really good senior year, was sort of a mid-major guy improved in a big way he was from uh northern california really rem- yeah. like you, you'd have to check the late developing guy from a remote area who maybe had an injury and also transferred <laughs> schools like those four <laughs> things you put together those are the guys you're finding late that yeah. might turn out because there's a there's a good reason why you weren't on them right. earlier and my thing with the offensive line too is like if you if you if you want to get one or two more you've got room so offer somebody else. Yeah. You know, because if Foster Sarrell calls you in December and says, hey, I want in, it's not like you're going to be like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't have room for you anymore. So, like, if you want to get two more, you need to offer two or three more guys. Yeah. Well, it's I don't like, know what they're yeah. waiting for. Yeah, it's like if you know you need one more, you got to take a guy you can get. And then if you get the guy right. you wanted later, he's the fifth guy that's, that's fine. That's great, yeah. Um, There's, they're not going to run out of room. They never do. No. <laughs> so no. I don't know what the... You know, I don't know if there's something we're missing, why they're not offering yeah. more guys. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I'm checking with somebody over in the Google that said they might actually go out and do some recruiting this weekend in Florida because the team flies out on Thursday. Mm-hmm. They did a little bit of that in Pittsburgh last year where Kelly and most of the staff went to the Pittsburgh Central Catholic to see DeMar Hamlin, but also at the same time saw David Adams yeah. and uh, Kurt Heinisch. And then uh, Mike Sanford saw Phil Jakovic. That weekend as well. Um, so I think they might do something similar in Texas when they go down for the Shamrock Series. Game I would, there are a couple coaches down there that made mention that like the staff will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, if you could kind of check off the committed guys, then maybe on Friday night before the game you can get out and see some other guys. Yeah, there's there's no question they need a little bit more movement on the recruiting campaign than they have right now. Um, it just feels a little... Uh, a little stuck in neutral, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, I've the been, season kind of feels that way, too. Right. I've been less busy lately. Yes. So. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, that's Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Uh, we will talk to you next from Jacksonville on early Saturday morning, and then our post-game Navy Notre Dame instant analysis following that, and, of course, all the content on the website over the weekend, and then our podcast returns Monday. So until then, thanks for listening. Baseball season's underway. You better get ready for